Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Another new week of broadcast is underway, and we are so grateful to have you here as you are officially seven days away from Christmas. Guys, you know what that means. It means that uh, this is your warning to start your shopping right now. Of course, the ladies have had this done for quite some time. Um, you know, it's interesting when you think about uh, uh, what the role that women play in uh, society and especially when it comes to education. Um, a lot of moms are the drivers behind, you know, the educational goals of their kids, whether or not the child's going to public school, private school, or homeschool. And it's been interesting to see how the phenomenon, the shift to the homeschooling movement has really picked up steam over the years. Maybe this is your story. This might be something that is happening in your home right now. And it's a, it's a good thing that it is. I mean, for, for several families. Years ago, I remember, this, gosh, my goodness, it's almost 20 years ago since we had this conversation. But I was working with a, a nonprofit ministry, Homeward. Uh, still do some work for them. And we were in Texas at the uh, National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Dallas. And Jim Burns was talking to Lisa Welchel. Remember that her, she was the uh, star on the Facts of Life, and she had become quite prominent in the Christian community as a very outspoken woman of faith, married to a pastor. Um, you know, just, it was a you know kind of a fun story. And I remember uh, Jim asking her the question because she'd written a book and had talked about uh, their educational experiences. And he asked her, "What was it like in their home as far as education?" She goes, "Well, I have three kids." And we have three completely different stories. I mean, I've got one young, you know, one of my daughters is just really into school and the social life. She goes to a big public school. She loves it. Um, she's, she's got a good group of Christian friends there. She's involved in cheerleading and all, you know, just really going after the whole public school experience. She's got another child who likes being around others, but is not quite, you know, the big school type. She's in a private Christian school. And it's a smaller school, and she's had some of the same friends, you know, for the, the eight years or whatever they've been there, and that's working out great. She goes, then I have a son. He's a drummer. He's a musician. And he just does not operate on that clock, you know. So we're homeschooling him, and he might get up first thing in the morning, do a couple hours of school, and then he's out on the trampoline, or he's playing his drums, or he's doing whatever, and then we get back at it for a couple hours afterwards. And she said, for us, that works. So the question, public, private, or um, homeschool, for them, the answer was yes. And I've always been a big advocate of that. You know, find out what's best for your child. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way they should go. Or I think the, the King James, in he should go, meaning, you know, mankind, people. And when that child grows older, they will not depart from the way that they should go. That's a reference to two things. First of all, to God's natural law that's written on the hearts of every human being. When you see people who are completely secular, totally progressive, and they're still upset when they perceive that an injustice has been you know, handed out, that the, the fact that they're looking for a right and a wrong is God's natural law. Now, what they're using as their standard for executing that is totally different. I mean, it, it, for us as Christians, it's a biblical worldview. For people in the progressive world, it's I don't want to feel bad, or I don't want my friend to suffer, or I, I don't like the idea. You know, there, there are so many people in the progressive world who have no trouble saying we should kill people on campus if they say something that we consider to be hate speech. But then why are we going to war? You know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to them. So <clears throat> the progressive mindset, you know, is looking at, the, the, we like the idea of right and wrong. We just don't want you to tell us what it is that we need to be doing. And it's interesting because as we see what's happening in the culture right now, the public schools in particular have really come under fire 
because it seems like they've tried so hard to become social justice warriors and taking up for everybody except a biblical worldview that now they've gotten so focused on the politics of it that they've kind of missed the the programming you know I mean, in terms of what should be taught what is proper history what about math i mean remember it was 10 years ago almost 2014 we could we don't we dedicated a good hour it seemed like every week for almost a year to fighting the whole common core issue remember that uh the, the school districts were in bad shape financially and they were looking for a way to kind of fund what they were doing at least that's what we were told and the Obama administration put up like $4 billion of educational funding for anyone who would adopt Common Core. What they didn't tell you was that the, the way they did it wasn't a guarantee. It was a lottery of sorts. So you had to sign up for Common Core having not seen the curriculum. And then if they drew the little bubble, came out with your name's, the state's name on it, you got the money. California signed up for Common Core, didn't get any money. A lot of states didn't. But the idea with Common Core was they said the standards that a lot of states are setting, the minimum federal standards are too low. We need to raise the minimum, minimum federal standards. And the problem was that it wasn't that the states didn't have higher standards. It's just that the it was kind of like saying the minimum wage is too low, so we're going to raise the federal minimum wage, and that will alleviate poverty. Well, just because the federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour doesn't mean that an employer can only pay that much. But the problem with Common Core was there were a lot of school districts who said the federal standards were low. They set higher standards. California used to be one of those states where if the expectation was you were going to finish Algebra 1 for the entire student body, California would offer classes into pre-calculus, you know, to try to advance the student's learning and just in math skills. Common Core was designed, I mean, it sounded like we're going to raise the standard and help all of us do better, you know, in education. And instead, you know what we got? <laughs> we got... We got a, a, a standard that said the top is really the bottom. You will not exceed this. We will not move forward until every student is profession, proficient in Algebra 1, for example. I talked to several of the scholars. You can go back in the archives if you go back to 2013, 2014. Uh, several of the scholars who were writing the English part and the, uh, the mathematics part of Common Core, they were brought in as experts from places like Stanford and Ivy League schools. And you know what wound up happening? They wound up getting fired from the advisory board because they said, look, these standards are crazy. Uh, here's an example of how bad things have gotten. And some of this is COVID related. And some of this is just the way things have been happening. There's something called the Program for International Student Assessment, PISA, if you will, as in the Leaning Tower, right? And in the uh, Program for International Student Assessment, U.S. students are compared to students from all around the world. This is something the Obama administration told us 10 years ago. We have to have Common Core because this will make us more competitive in the world, right? Okay, well, here's what ha has happened in the last 20 years with PISA. The average score in PISA ranges anywhere from 0 to 1,000. The average score for uh, students in the United States is abysmal. If you were going on a 90, 80, 70 curve, American students fail. In 2003, the average PISA score for American students was 483. That's on a scale of 1 to 1,000. Bear in mind that a difference, if there's any change, a drop of 25 points, an increase of 25 points, then that means that that represents one year worth of learning, okay? In 2003, 
the U.S. PISA score was 483. Today, the PISA score is 465. That is a drop of 18 points in 20 years. Okay. Now, here's where it really gets dicey. If you look back at the PISA score, Program for International Student Assessment, in 2018, the U.S. score was 478. So over about a 15-year period, it had only dropped five points. But in the last four years, the score has dropped 13 points. And remember, 25 points is a year of learning. So the average American high school student, age 15, is performing significantly worse in math than they did before the pandemic. Slightly worse in science, slightly worse in history. We're talking STEM categories here. You know, the ones that all the educators and all the politicians say are so important. Well, guess what? (laughs) Yeah, it's not quite the same as uh, we were told it was to be. And that's unfortunate. U.S. students are doing worse. And not only are they doing worse, but their test scores indicate that there's been a serious loss. No wonder the enrollment in places like LA Unified is down dramatically. California Department of Education reports that the average uh, attendance now used to be 6.2 million students in the school. It is now up to, uh, down to 5.8 million. And that's a significant, significant drop. We'll put this article about the PISA scores up at thebottomlineshow.com. What can we do about it? What exactly can we actually do to make the situation better. Well, one way we can do is to start exploring homeschooling. And a major homeschooling advocate is a woman by the name of Sam Sorbo. Now, you know Sam Sorbo is the wife of Kevin Sorbo. She's an actress. She's a writer. Uh, She and Kevin are kind of Hollywood legends when you get right down to it. But she's also become an advocate for homeschooling. She was an advocate for homeschooling 10 years ago. And even now, though, more and more people are looking into it. Sam Sorbo is going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about the importance of homeschooling and why parents and grandparents should be taking a more active role and not just abdicating this to the public school. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today on The Bottom Line, a very special guest joining me from Sorbo Studios in Florida, and I'm so grateful that we have time Kevin and Sam Sorbo are two of the busiest people you'll find in 
not Hollywood anymore, but I should say in the media. And Sam Sorbo is with us today to talk about homeschooling, to talk about the miracle in East Texas, and just everything that's happening with Team Sorbo. Sam Sorbo, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Yeah, it's so great to be here. And I love that. Uh, I love the introduction. I love the not Hollywood sort of introduction. <laughs> Works for me. I think it's great. I mean, you guys have both had major success in Hollywood and then said, forget it. We're not going to do it. I mean, you, you, you. I love the the purposefulness of the Sorbo family with regard to the fact that here you are, act, actress, writer, producer. And then when it was time, said, hey, you know what? The school system's getting weird. I'm going to put all that on hold because we need to do something about education. And I know that you're a huge advocate for homeschooling right now. And I think more and more people are beginning to see the wisdom of doing that. Kind of give us a 60 second overview of what your homeschooling journey was like. Okay. Oh, my homeschooling journey was my son went through second grade, my oldest, and was coming home with all kinds of stuff that were not education related, but just detrimental to, I thought, his character and his well-being. Mm -hmm. And the education was lacking also. So the academic, you know, I I pursue school for the academics. I'm a, I am an academic and I believe in the academics. At least that's the way that I was raised. That's, mm -hmm. I think, how we're all raised. But then it occurred to me that there was some other stuff that was happening. So that I didn't like. And I, I literally said this to my husband. I said, Kevin, I think I could fail at homeschooling him and he would still be better off. In other words, I was willing mm. to let the academics slide because of all the other stuff that was happening. And now, of course, you know, my son is now 22. It has ramped up immeasurably since then. So that was just sort of the detrimental aspects of him being in a, in a big school he was the big man on campus in first grade. The fifth graders knew his name. Mm. Um, he was really on his way to being a, a great bully, a very, mm. very effective bully. And oh, it was no. coming home and he was sort of lording his superiority over his siblings and stuff like that. And I didn't I didn't like that attitude on right. him. Right. And uh, now today, of course, he has over two million followers on TikTok uh, before we it. realized how dangerous TikTok was. Uh, uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> he was yeah. on it. Um, and you know, he is, he is an extreme extrovert and he, uh, and, and he commands, uh, he commands a presence in, in the room. Um, but he's a, but he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I, I preserved his character and I'll tell you another thing, the academics never, never failed. They, they yeah. never, they, the academics aren't happening in the school. So I don't, th I don't know what I thought I was giving up in terms of <laughs> academics, but yeah. I gave up nothing. It turns out. Yeah, a lot of people think they are. I mean, and I, I come, I, I come at this uh, conversation as the son of uh, career educators in the public school system. But that was thirty years ago in the People's yeah. Republic of California. You know, where you could actually get a decent <laughs> education, and they're shocked now to see what's happening. You know, my mom taught first grade for thirty years, and she would, uh, she would have looked at uh, the challenge of what your son was bringing to the table, and probably had a parent-teacher conference with you. Nowadays, they just, you know, let it on go. And yet here you are, Sam Sorbo, saying, look, this is my son. He is my responsibility. You know, and, and I think that's the, the thing that I've always appreciated about the way you guys approach homeschooling is you look at this and say, look, you know, the, the title of your book, they're your kids. I mean, there are so many parents. I was reading a statistic the other day about the number of parents in church going families who believe that it's somebody else's responsibility to teach biblical values. Like 9% think, okay, it's my responsibility. The other 91 are waiting for the youth group or the pastor or the Christian school to do it. And you guys took the bull by the proverbial horns in this regard. 
Yeah, and I, you know, it wasn't a religious decision, although in hindsight, it was the best decision religiously that I could make. Yeah. Um, and this is what I tell parents. Uh, I think that there, there's so much to unpack there. You know, I'd love to, I know this is a limited time podcast, but, uh, or, or radio, but um, the, the struggle that I think we have is we have been taught that sacrifice is a negative. It is a net loss. In fact, I mm -hmm. debated somebody on um, Patrick Bet David about this very concept. Uh, we've been taught that by the schools. The schools are dead wrong. The schools are so wrong. They're the opposite of right. Uh, they, <laughs> no, but I'm serious. Like yeah, they're yeah. teaching us the opposite of truth. They're teaching not just lies, but the opposite of truth. And so we've been persuaded away from what is best for us, what is best for our children, what is best for the country. We've lost the family unit, largely in part of the interference of our schools. And we've welcomed it because we were taught to welcome it because we went to school. And so I'm trying to stand that on its head and show people that that's, the, that's not just wrong, it's the opposite of right. And so what you ought to be doing, and I have a great, um, I have a great advocate, uh, a joint advocate in this, in Jordan Peterson. Mm, who talks yeah. predominantly to young men now because they are so lost. And why are they lost? Because they've been taught, take no responsibility, which is the opposite, right? Exactly. Young men and young women should be taking response, should be seeking responsibility. Pick up your heaviest burden that you can possibly bear. And that will bring you happiness. That will bring you joy. And so, you know, he's my, he's my uh, co-adventurer in this journey uh, and I'm, you know, I, I feel really blessed to to be aligned with him in this Absolutely. endeavor in trying to get parents to take on the responsibility of their children, because and from the Christian standpoint, you know, we can we can approach it from the secular, but let's talk Christianese, right? God gave you your children as a gift. Yes. Do not give that gift to somebody else to open. Right. And also God gave you your children as a gift to teach you things Mm -hmm. So embrace that learning journey with them because you will learn so much. You will become so much of a better person through this journey. Sam Sorbo is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and she's just getting warmed up. Uh, homeschool advocate, <laughs> of course, parent, author, producer, writer. Uh, her book, They're Your Kids, An Inspirational Journey from Self-Doubter to Homeschool Advocate is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a classic, and it's hot, well worth reading, especially when you consider that Sam and Kevin Sorbo went on this journey 15 years ago. And now we've seen, boy, the pandemic just answered a lot of questions for people, didn't it, Sam? I mean, about the the, re the relationship between the public schools and the government and what kind of indoctrination is there. And now I see these parents who are scrambling to kind of reclaim some of the lost ground that their students experienced during the pandemic. And you've even got the president of the American Federation of Teachers saying, I don't understand why so many people are homeschooling. You know, where, where did this come from? <laughs> and I could hear Sam Sorbo in the back saying, pick me, pick me. I'll tell you why. And I could have told you why 10 years ago. We've got Randy Weingarten, who's confused by what's what seems to be absolutely patently obvious, and we've got the direct the um, the uh, education secretary uh, mis completely misquoting Reagan, mm -hmm. and and of course he's in charge of the history that your children learn. Like like <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. But right. the fact is, sadly, that I think parents are not getting answers. I think they're being becoming more confused, mm. and they're waiting for somebody to answer the question for them. Sadly. 
Uh, but I'm happy to provide the answer and the solution for everybody. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and again, this is, I, I love the fact that you learned this in the school of hard knocks. I mean, the fact that you had a, a, a son who was demonstrating that kind of uh, overly aggressive, assertive, extroverted behavior, and it could have been problematic. And you said, Hey, let's, let's bring that, let's rein this in. You don't want to stifle, you know, what your, your son was doing. You want to guide it. You want to shape and mold yes. the character in the same way. Talk about why that that's the essence of homeschooling. It's not so much a political statement. It's saying, if you're not going to mold their character, that's primarily my job. I'll, I'll just do it at home. Yeah. In fact, I, I would say that when we when we refocus uh, education towards the the character development, the whole child, let's say, in, and away from the academics, what what we get is parents who are um, who who feel more 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 uh, able to homeschool and then they can watch their children grow into competent, intelligent, yes. uh, resourceful, self-reliant young people, right? Which is mm -hmm. the opposite of what the school is turning out. They're turning out, you know, babies. They're they're, yeah. they're turning out young, young people who are not even young adults. They're like old children. And of course, what I what I tell, so I coach families and I talk a lot. You know, I I lecture and whatever. And one of the things that I encourage parents to do is to look at this child as a young adult. You are guiding him into mm -hmm. adulthood. Yes. And I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit, I did it wrong. I did it wrong for several years with my kids because I focused entirely on the academics, mm -hmm. not realizing that it was everything else that was really the important stuff. The academics will come. Your child may or may not be an academic. The academic system may or may not serve your child Right. the best. Okay. It turns out my two boys, very clever. They got along and mm. I, and they were also a little bit abused by the pursuit of the academics, frankly, because I was, because I was such a stickler for academics because mm -hmm. that's sure. what I grew up with. Right. But eventually, gradually I learned that's really not the focus. They don't have to do every single essay. They don't have to perfect their math work or whatever. Like, like it's not that important. What's more important is the whole child. Yeah. And then my daughter came along and she's the <laughs> artist. Okay. Oh, and yeah. I, I hit my knees when she was like 11 and I, I prayed to God. I was like, God, okay. I handled the first two, but this one, I don't know what, I don't know what you were thinking. Cause <laughs> I can't do this. I yeah. don't do art. I can't teach art. What the mm -hmm. heck, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the parent is not the child's teacher. The parent is the child's guide. Mm. You're supposed to teach your child how to learn. That mm -hmm. way your child can be self-reliant. That is mm -hmm. that simple. It's not yeah. you have to know everything so that you can teach your child everything. That's the school's paradigm. It is a deeply flawed paradigm and it doesn't work as we've seen. So now let's go back to basics. What is it that you want for your child? You want your child to have a productive life. You want your child to be loving and forgiving and right. giving and able to ask for forgiveness. These are the important things, relationship, right? And so, so I hit my knees with my daughter. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? And somebody said, we'll find her anatomy classes if she's an artist. I'm mm -hmm. like, yes, perfect. I'll get her a teacher. Yeah. So I ran upstairs <laughs> to her room. She's 11 or 12. And I said, anatomy classes. And she's like, oh, bless your heart. Like, as <laughs> only, only an 11-year-old. Uh -huh. And she picked up her sketchbook and she showed me she'd been sketching the interior workings of the human knee oh in my. various positions. Oh and my. I looked at her and I said, oh, you're you're teaching yourself anatomy. And she's like, yeah, mm. uh-huh. Yeah. So <laughs> my point well, is... Mm -hmm. You teach your child how to teach themselves, mm -hmm. how to teach themselves. 
selves, yeah, plural. Um, and then and then you set them free with parameters, guidelines, safety rules, right? Because you can't just set your child free on the internet. Right. And they will teach themselves. Hmm. And Lo and that's the joy. Then you then you get to just stand back and go, wow, <laughs> I did that. Yes. Because they're yeah. doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's your DNA running through their system. So, you know, you're helping and guiding and directing and molding and shaping and watching what God does through them is just really unbelievable. It's it's such a trip. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Sam Sorbo is my guest, and we're talking about homeschooling and how important it is, especially when you see declining enrollments in public schools. That's because more and more people are taking the homeschool option. And Sam is the author of the book called They're Your Kids, an inspirational journey from self-doubter to homeschool advocate by Mrs. Sam Sorbo. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of this book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have a copy of Sam Sorbo's book on homeschooling. And if your kids or maybe your, your adult children are considering homeschooling your grandchildren, this is a great book to kind of answer some of the questions that a skeptic might have. Sam is a very intelligent woman. She and Kevin are a smart couple. Uh, but she said even she was a little intimidated with the thought that she would have to be a teacher until she realized, hey, wait a minute, Ultimately, um, these are our kids, <laughs> and we are responsible. One copy of the book, They're Your Kids, An Inspirational Journey from Self-Doubter to Homeschool Advocate. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, on the other side of this break, today, of course, is Movie Monday. And Kevin and Sam Sorbo have done a few movies in their past and in their present. Matter of fact, their most recent movie, Miracle in East Texas, is now available on DVD. And on the other side of this break, we're going to keep on talking homeschooling, but we're also going to get into a conversation about this outstanding new movie. And yeah, I might have a DVD or two sitting around the studio here that we can be giving away in the second half hour of the broadcast. So call it. Ask Crystal either about Sam Sorbo's book or the DVD of Miracle in East Texas. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Sam Sorbo coming up next as the bottom line continues. Uh, Sam Sorbo is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Delightful conversation. I appreciate her passion. Um, the book is called They're Your Kids, An Inspirational Journey from Self-Doubter to Homeschool Advocate. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got other newer works. Of that's yeah, the classic. Yeah, there's another yeah. book. I have it here. Oh, I do. I have it here. 
It's called uh, the playbook for home learning. Okay. So this, this actually is a workbook and mm -hmm. I'll show you it's, yeah. it's got a lot of blank spots. Mm -hmm. um, this oh, is yeah. based on a conference that I gave mm -hmm. and we go, we go through the whole book at the conference. So the videos are up online, but then I went and I recorded actual training sessions, Nice. 15 videos that are geared entirely towards this book, which will recalibrate the way you think about education. That's the goal here which will then empower you to be the one in charge of your child's education. It's not yes. rocket science, yes. but we've all been in a sense, well, we've been brainwashed. We've been trained. We've been schooled <laughs> by the schools mm -hmm. to think a certain way about education. We've also been brainwashed to think that we're incapable. Uh, mm. I, I, you know, I would say show of hands who feels incapable. Sure. We all do. Okay. I felt incapable. And, and, and if you knew my credentials, you would go, why would she feel incapable? And right. I tell you, I feel incapable because, or I felt incapable because I was taught that what, whatever I didn't actually learn in school and get an A on, I didn't know. Hmm. That's not true. Wow. Right. And yeah. you talk to any number of people and you ask them, if they do for a living exactly what they went to school and studied hmm, right and they don't we At learn all. so much outside of school that if you if you tally up how much you learn outside of school you go well, well why did i go to school mm -hmm. <laughs> if you really start <laughs> to like tally it up and mm -hmm. of course that's my question why send your child to school do not send your children away from you keep them close because you only have this much time with them right. and it's precious yes and Amen. they're they're worth it yeah, absolutely worth it. And to your credentials, I had to chuckle when you were talking about the fact that you had a sense of inadequacy for homeschooling your kids. But based on your credentials, I thought she could do this interview in three or four different languages besides English. So, I mean, obviously, you've got the training, you've got the 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 smarts, as it were. But once you thematically figured out, okay, well, what's the end goal here? Um, that's just gold. Uh, we're talking with right. Sam Sorbo because today here on the bottom line about homeschooling. Go ahead. Right. That's the gold that you find, because what you're what you're going to then end up doing is not implementing school at home. OK, because mm -hmm. you're you're not a teacher, you're not right. credentialed. And that's why you feel inadequate. But when you recalibrate the way you think about education, you go, oh, wait, I don't want to do what they do in school. I don't I don't want to emulate the teachers who I frankly disdained and didn't enjoy. And I regretted going to school or whatever. Some right. people enjoyed school. My husband really loved school. He was a school jock. He was very popular sure. like, for him. It was yeah. like, it was all downhill after high school. almost. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but you know what I mean? Like he loved it, but he wasn't the greatest student and he knows it. Mm -hmm. um, I was a great student and I hated every day. I probably had the most mm -hmm. absentees uh, of any, of any child in the school. Uh, because I because I would stay home and uh, my mother would write me a note because <laughs> so I, I really disliked it. Uh -huh. So I, that colors a bit of my thinking. But if you feel incapable, let me tell you, you are not incapable. And I would urge you to um, you can go to Sorbo Studios and find the playbook there. And the okay. videos just live online so you can get access to the videos and um, and recalibrate the way that you think about education to enable you to empower you to handle the education of your children. The, and it's really more than, you know, we think of education as academics. It's really the upbringing of your children. It's called right. parenting. Right. That's really all it is. Yes. It, it, it's, it's so basic when you boil it down to how simple it is. And it really isn't, I don't want to say it's not difficult, but I mean, it really is very simple when you get down to brass tacks and Sam's actually, Storko, go ahead. I, I, I say to people, if, if homeschooling is hard, you're doing it wrong. 
Mm. Like I, it's hard to say that, but it's mm-hmm. the truth. If if you're finding it hard, then you're doing something wrong because you should be enjoying your time with your children. You should yes. be enjoying yourself. It's yes. fun to learn things. Remember when it was fun to learn something new? Well, your children have that in spades. And yeah. what happens is when children get into school, because of the structure and the and the parameter, the the you know the structure that's imposed on them, it becomes less fun because of the the obligations that are given to them. It becomes right. less fun. Things are less fun when you're obligated to do them. It's less fun to do the dishes when somebody asks you to do the dishes. <laughs> right. But right. if you think of it yourself and you go, I'm going to do the dishes and see if anybody notices, then it's kind of fun. So. My my point is you can ha- you can do this have a lot of fun enjoy your children forge that relationship that lifelong bond I can't tell you how strong my bond is with my teenagers well now 22 19 and 18 mm-hmm. um who come to my bedroom and when I when you know later at night and sit on the end of the bed and just chat because they seek us out to talk mm. to us because mm-hmm. we are their mentors through right. life right Right. Someone who will tell them the truth about who they are. Uh, Sam Sorbo, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, we're talking homeschool. We're talking about the the newest project coming out of Sorbo Studios. And you and Kevin are so prolific in what you do. Uh, you had a movie that came out just a couple months ago that's now available on uh, home DVD called Miracle in East Texas. And I have to say that as great as the uh, the Martin and Lewis team of uh, Kevin Sorbo and John Ratzenberger was in this movie, um, I I liked your scenes best. I mean, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You were great in this movie. How much fun was it? And not only to make it, but to finally see it come to the big screen. It kind of got held up with COVID, didn't it? Oh yeah, I got caught in COVID jail. It was mm-hmm. locked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we brought it to the big screen. Unfortunately, we didn't have as much money as we would have liked to get the word out. So we appreciate people like you helping us spread the word uh, sure. to get people to the theaters. And we had a very nice turnout in the theaters. And now, uh, now that's done. And now it's coming out on or it's out on DVD. I should just say it just launched on DVD. So we're excited about that. And um, people can go to sorbostudios.com for all the information on that. It's called Miracle in East. Texas. And it is, um, I'm very proud of it because it's one of these movies that, that threads the needle. Hollywood would say it's a faith-based movie, maybe, Mm -hmm. but a lot of atheists watched this film and were wondering why we thought it was a faith-based movie. Really? The faith crowd watched the film and were like, oh man, that story of redemption and Mm -hmm. forgiveness that just sings from Christian faith. And so, uh, so we, we managed to thread the needle really well. And it's funny. It's a comedy. Yeah. It's based on a true story, uh, which is an incredible story. And, um, and by the way, not for nothing, but I did develop a homeschool curriculum. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> well, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a brief curriculum. It's not too long, but what I wanted to do was expose to parents what homeschooling can really look like. So yes, it can look like this. You watch a fun movie you have some laughs, and then you discuss the historical aspects of the movie, the aspects of the economy that was happening during right. the depression mm-hmm. in East Texas, the the uh, the natural resource of oil, which is one, one thing that the movie del- delves into. And then, of course, the theme of forgiveness that runs throughout the movie. Right. And that is a that's a conversation to have with your children, a conversation about forgiveness and how important that is. You know, we live in cancel culture today. We live right. in a in a culture of unforgiveness. It's the anti Christian ethic. It's it's anti-forgiveness, in fact. And that's why people are so scared today, because they know that if they if they step over a line somehow and they they're not really sure where all the lines are, 
But if they step over some line, they're going to not be forgiven. They'll be ostracized and outed. Right. And right. Um, yeah. So so hopefully people can still enjoy the movie. They, they can go get it, the DVD and enjoy it for many years to come at home and uh, and learn a thing or two also and just have a laugh. Talk about a teachable moment. That's a great bonding experience. So you you guys have pulled it off and I can't wait to see the homeschool curriculum that goes along with the movie Miracle in East Texas, which is now available on DVD and the home streaming options as well. Uh, Sam Sorbo, we appreciate your dedication to education, to academia, also to interweaving faith and in, not in such a way where it's like, okay, here's the big obvious faith moment, but rather it's something that you live out. Talk about why, uh, what, what's kind of fueling your passion for 2024, not, not only with the studios, but also with your writing, your speaking and your advocacy. Well, I'm excited. I'm going to have a new book coming out. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Excellent. And uh, and we got a lot of movies down that are coming down the pike. My husband is extremely busy. I'm I'm less busy in the movie uh, realm than he is, of course. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm I'm um, concerned about the direction of the nation. Uh, I hope that we can get Christians to get off their butts. Mm -hmm. But I'm also concerned about the the direction of the church. Uh, so I think that COVID did a tremendous number on the church, and I'm concerned about uh, where that's headed. I think that we will see revival in home churches. Um, and I will say this, you know, we learn in school, don't ask, because the the raising your hand is a barrier to entry. So the first thing a child learns when they go to school is to stop asking questions, which is just a mm. horrible thing to, to yeah. train a child in. Uh, a child that's naturally curious, right? Stop asking. But we also learn, don't think, just regurgitate what the teacher told you. Right. Don't try because failure is bad. And then the final one um, that that finally occurred to me is don't read because the teacher mm. read the book. She'll tell mm -hmm. you what's in it. And so now, now we have uh, Christians who go to church and they think because they grew up in the school paradigm, the pastor read the book. He'll tell me what's in it. Right. And they right. don't read their Bibles. And I really encourage people to read your Bible every day, read it with your kids. You don't need a special book training you how to read the Bible. It's not, it's not rocket science. It is the best book ever written. That's why it's still a bestseller. <laughs> and I really yeah. encourage people um, because it has a lot of answers. It has a great deal of truth. It has nothing but the truth. Um, and it, it can really better your life. It can really improve your lives uh, and the lives of your children. And if there's one thing that I did right in homeschooling is I read the Bible with my kids every day. It took mm. me took me a little while to figure that out. Uh, mm -hmm. We did Bible study outside the house for a while. And then I was like, we can't, I don't have time to do that, but let's just do the Bible together. Yeah. And so when I speak, I tell parents, read the Bible with your kids. And there's a really good book that teaches you how to read the Bible. It's called the Bible, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's that simple. Um, have your kids read it aloud work, you know, have fun with the strange names and trying yeah. to pronounce them correctly. Oh, yeah. Get yourself yeah. an annotated Bible because it's always fun to be able to immediately look up questions, you know, answers to questions that you might have about what you're reading. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you do that with your children, they figure this out all by themselves. The Bible's the guidebook for life. It's Amen. the answer key. It's Amen. the cheat sheet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the cliff notes. Yeah. And my kids figured that out. They're the ones who taught me that. Wow. Like, like I should have known that, but I didn't really put it into perspective that way. Mm -hmm. And so now my kids are like fervent in the word. And it's, it's the most amazing thing for me to see. And so that's 
but that's, that's the authority on which I stand and, I um, it. and the encouragement that I give to parents. I love it. I love it. Well, Sam Sorbo, we appreciate your passion for this topic, and we're looking forward to those releases in 2024, uh, but congratulations on everything oh. that God has accomplished in and through you in 2023. You have one more thing to add. I just want to add, please go to sorbostudios.com, sign up for our newsletter so that we can stay in touch. It's difficult to reach out to people on social media. We're yes. banned uh, in several places and, hmm. uh, and suppressed in others. Um, but if you go to Sorbo Studios, you part of our email list and we just send out one a week and we just try to stay in touch with people, let you know what's going on, what's coming next and, and all of that. We really appreciate your support. I love it. I love it. Well, SorboStudios.com is up at TheBottomLineShow.com. All things Kevin and Sam Sorbo. Sam, thank you so much for your time today here on The Bottom Line Show. Really appreciate it. Nice to catch up with you again. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year from all of us here at The Bottom Line. Merry Christmas. What a great conversation and a couple of fantastic resources to share with you today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, be sure you also check out the book by Sam Sorbo that we've been talking about today here on The Bottom Line called They're Your Kids. And it's a guide for moving from self-doubt to self-empowered. And, and Sam wrote this book as her own, from her own experiences of saying, I've got to be the one who's the advocate for my kids. And if you are a parent, if you're a grandparent and your adult children are considering homeschooling, I highly recommend this book. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, speaking of homeschooling and public schooling, we're going to take a look at what's happening in one of the major public school systems here in the United States and why it is so important for us to pay attention when these types of things are happening. There's a hiring freeze going on in LA Unified right now. And the reason they're doing so is twofold. One of them is, well, COVID's over. Now, the second reason is because, well, um, students aren't coming to school. We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Special update from our friends at Preborn, especially here in the final month of the year. Good news is that the double matching gift is in place every day through the end of the month. That's the good news. The bad news is if you wait too long, you won't be able to take advantage of it. Now, Preborn has been offering qualitative health care for women who are in pregnancy mode for many, many years. And one of the specialties of Preborn, of course, is providing free ultrasounds for any woman who asks for one. When a woman comes to a Preborn clinic, she gets a pregnancy test, she gets an ultrasound, she gets to see those first baby pictures of her preborn child, and then is given the information about the options available to her, either become a mother, release that child for adoption, or yes, in states like California, where it's still legal, abortion is on the table as well. But 85 times out of 100, a woman who goes to preborn and sees the ultrasound winds up keeping the child or releasing the child for adoption. Your tax deductible donation to preborn right now is doubled through the end of the year. So call 833-850-BABY today, 833-850-2229. A $28 donation provides one appointment, 140 provides five, 280 provides 10, and all of those numbers are doubled now through the end of the year. 833-850-2229 or give a gift online at kbrightradio.com. My thanks again to Sam Sorbo, she the wife of Kevin Sorbo, they the dynamic duo, a power couple that moved from California to Florida recently, uh, but the Sorbo Studios is going great guns. We've got a link for their uh, studio link up at thebottomlineshow.com. A couple of resources that we're sharing today. One of them is Sam's outstanding book on 
homeschooling called They're Your Kids, and uh, it's her journey uh, from being a skeptic to being a homeschool advocate. We've got one copy of that book we're giving away today at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line for that. Also, a couple copies up for grabs, and I'm not sure exactly how many we have. Crystal knows that, but uh, of, of Kevin and Sam Sorbo's hilarious new comedy based on a true story. It's called Miracle in East Texas. It's about a couple of bumbling, uh, hoodwinking guys, uh, Kevin Sorbo and John Ratzenberger from Cheers, who uh, are going around, and what they do is it's during the Texas oil bust um, back in the Depression era. They're basically getting people who had oil wells that busted that they know are actually going to generate, uh, they, they know aren't going to generate any oil. They go ahead and get people to invest in them knowing they're going to go bust. They take their money up front. The wells bust. The people lose their money. Dennis Wilson would say, never invest in that. But then what happens is one of the oil wells actually comes through. And now they have to figure out, well, what do we do? Because there's oil and there's a product and they can sell it. And it's a very funny movie. Got a couple of copies up for grabs of Miracle in East Texas as well. We might have a lot of them. You got to call Crystal. This could be one of those deals like last week with the movie I Can and we had 10 DVDs. Um, sometimes they come in and I don't see them when they come in. So I don't know how many we have anyway, but I want you to have one 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We were talking about homeschooling, talking about public education, talking about the, uh, the, the PISA scores, uh, that are, it's an international test, kind of like the SAT, if you will, for, uh, students internationally. And 20 years ago. The United States students, 15-year-olds is when they take the test, were coming in in the 48th percentile. Um, they're now down to the 47th percentile. And the test scores have dropped. Actually, they're 46th. They've dropped from 483 in 2003 to 465 in 2022. And that's on an average scale of 0 to 1,000, right? A perfect score is 1,000. So the average U.S. teenager in their math gets 465. And they've lost eight, uh, 13 points over the past four years in learning. And that translates into if they'd lost 25 points, that means they'd actually regressed one full year in what they're learning. Now, a lot of that has to do with, there's a lot of reasons. COVID that was a problem, distance learning, we know, handicapped students. Uh, but then there's also this, the, the districts that are trying so hard to be woke and they're not actually teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic that students now can't do this type of stuff. Social promotion has been a problem. And I, I don't know what it's like to be in a classroom where you have incorrigible kids who don't show up, who don't want to um, uh, you know, learn the, the lessons that they're supposed to learn. And then what do you do? You could have some of the same kids in the same grades for two or three years in a row. But there's, there's a lack of interest on the part of many uh, young people. And now you've got LA Unified and uh, Alberto Carvalho, excuse me, who is the superintendent. This is the nation's second largest school district. It's the largest one in uh, California. And LA Unified is getting ready to have to lay off potentially one, no, let's see, 1,800 uh, employees in the next two years. And the reason is twofold. First and foremost, um, because of the fact that they have had declining enrollment. I mean, no question about it. The declining enrollment in public schools, it's really very simple game. And I don't mean to minimize the impact of teachers and administrators because I don't want it to sound like that. But when it comes to the money that districts have to work with, it's a very simple game. 
the federal government establishes a standard of what per student you know, money should be allotted. And then there are ways that these are funded. Some places it's through property taxes or, you know, however it goes. But there is a fixed amount of money that the districts have to work with each year because there's a fixed amount of money coming from the state and federal governments. And it's based on students. So that whole butts and seats thing is real. If you don't have enough students, if you set a budget for an elementary school, for example, that had an enrollment of 1,000 and 20 of those kids don't show up one day, then you lose that funding for those 20 kids for that day. So if you want to hire more teachers, you need more students because if you don't have more students, you don't get more money. And over the years, teachers unions have really stuck it to teachers. You're saying, wait a minute, I'm getting more money now than I ever did before, but there's no money for supplies. Well, that's right. Again, it's that fixed pie. So if you're going to pay higher salaries, that means you have less for something else. I mean, that's just math, right? That's, there's nothing magical about that. Nobody hates teachers. It's just saying, look, if your union fought for you to pay you more wages, the reason they were able to get more wages is because they're taking money out of athletics or they're taking money out of, you know, that's why you're buying your own pencils and papers and crayons and stuff like that. So in California, um, you've got a potentially 1,800 teachers, counselors, and other staff members who will be let go. And part of the reason is declining enrollment. There's no question about it. But there's another reason why this is going to happen. And when you find out why, then you'll begin to see why we call it a plandemic instead of a pandemic with regard to COVID. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Last call here on this Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line Show, romantic comedy based on a true story called Miracle in East Texas. One copy of Sam Sorbo's book on homeschooling called They're Your Kids. It's her journal of what it was like for her and her husband to homeschool their children. Uh, when they didn't think they were qualified to, and they wound up having a great homeschooling experience, and now they advocate more people doing that. More people are doing that because LA Unified is getting ready to uh, enact a, a, a hiring freeze. They're going to let potentially 1,800 student or teachers and counselors and other staff people go. They are facing a big shortfall next year. But uh, part of the reason why is declining enrollment. They have less money to work with. But the second part, too, let's not miss this. LAE public schools aren't necessarily unique because there were some federal funds that were given to public schools to help them remain open during the pandemic and aid in the recovery of students that are about to expire. And many people don't realize, do you know how much money was given to public schools by the federal government in grants per year during the pandemic? Just a hair under $200 billion dollars. And so here's the fine print, and credit to the Los Angeles Daily News for publishing it this way. The idea is that these 1,800 teachers and counselors and other staff people that were hired, many of them were hired with those funds. So the funds are going away, so now there's no more money for those positions. Well, that's just business. I mean, I mean nothing personal. But if LA was getting a share of $190 billion in free money from the federal government, and then all of a sudden that money dries up and all of a sudden it goes away. Well, what do you think is going to happen? And that's what's happening in LA Unified and other school districts like that. If you have kids or grandkids in LA Unified, I encourage you to read Sam Sorbo's book on homeschooling. I think you may find it to your advantage. You may find it to be something that you really want to pursue for your kids and your grandkids.
And uh, I highly recommend you check it out. For our KCBC audience, this is the end of the ride for the live edition of the Bottom Line Show for you. Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus is coming up next. For those who remain on the network, and our KCBC audience is going to hear this in the uh, Bottom Line Show Extra uh, uh, release tonight at 7 p.m. Uh, but coming up here, uh, we've got week three of our Advent uh, study, as you will, as we're looking at the three, uh, four different candles of Advent. Yesterday, you lit the candle that was a little odd in color. You notice that there are three purple candles that are in the ring, and um, that there's one that's pink or what they call a gaudette color, rose color, if you will. That is the joy candle, and um, it's got a very interesting story. It's a little different than the other three, and so every week during Advent, we have been purposing to take a moment and take an opportunity to look at what each of these candles mean. And so coming up on the other side of this break, I'm going to do a little homily, as we would say in the pastoral world, to talk about the, uh, the joy candle and what this season means for us as Christians with regard to experiencing the joy of the Lord, what the birth of Christ is all about in that regard. That is coming up next as the bottom line continues, so keep it right here. Well, welcome back to this special Monday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, kind of a movie Monday and everything else all in one, rolled in with our special guest, Sam Sorbo. And uh, check out that link at sorbostudios.com and uh, find out more about uh, the movie A Miracle in East Texas, of the homeschooling curriculum that Sam has written and the videos that go along with that. Today is the third Monday in the Advent season, which means yesterday was your third Sunday in Advent. And this is the special week in looking at the Advent candle. Hope you're enjoying this series. Every now and again, Reverend Roger takes over the show and <laughs> wants to do a little, a little preaching, just kind of a mini homily here. But the idea behind doing this is to say, look, here's, here's where we are in this Advent season. If you are part of a church that is liturgical, that has, which means they follow a liturgy, kind of a set order of worship, and they're doing different prayers and different readings and things like that, this time of year, uh, they're following a lectionary, uh, which tells you all the different verses and uh, passages that are going to be covered. And it makes the pastor's life a lot easier, but uh, you can also see some familiarity. And so it, part of the traditions that we uphold during this uh, Christmas season um, are often played out in this way. And so I wanted to implement and institute a new Christmas tradition here, um, here at the Bottom Line Show, uh, where we take a look at Advent and look at the different seasons or the different weeks of the Advent season and knowing that it come, the word Advent comes from the, uh, the Latin term Adventus, which means, you know, uh, preparation, awakening, if you will. And looking at the two different Advents that we celebrate, the first, of course, is the anticipation of the birth of Christ, which is a day that's worthy of celebration. And we don't get hung up on, was Jesus born December 25th or July 17th or whatever it is. You know, don't say I picked my son-in-law's birthday or one of my sons-in-law picked their birthday. Sorry, Kevin, Christian, I picked Brian's birthday. I'm not sure why, uh, but it might have something to do with the fact that uh, typically most uh, Bible historians agree that based on the description of what was happening that time of year, that it was a very, very good possibility that Jesus was born more in the spring or summer as opposed to the winter. But the Christians in the early church uh, kind of adopted this winter solstice and took over and say, look, this is when uh, not only did the, you know, the, the way that the planets would operate in terms of what they celebrated with the, you know, it was the celebrating right around the shortest and coldest day of the year, but then the turnaround that would happen in terms of anticipating spring and summer. But Jesus basically stepping into the darkest part of human history and saying, I'm now here, come, you know, the people living in darkness, Isaiah tells us, have seen a great light. And so uh, 
today we're going to take a look at the third candle in the Advent season. Of course, if you're following along with us at home, uh, the first candle that we light, the first Sunday of Advent, is for hope. And we talk about biblical hope, which is a very positive thing. The word for hope in the Greek, elpis, uh, literally means the expectation of what is certain. And I know for years I've preached on that and said, see, and so as Christians, we have this expectation of what is certain. But according to the Greek culture and Greek mythology, elpis also could talk about a day of dread. It just, all it meant was there's a future and there's something that's going to happen in the future and it definitely will come. And then they had, in the mythology, they had the goddess Elpis or whatever, capital E, who uh, sometimes was a god of fear and mongering and sometimes was a god of giving good things. We know as Christians that whenever we see hope, there's 54 different references to hope in the New Testament and all of them have positive connotations. So it's kind of like the root word for zealous or jealous when we see a word like jealousy in scripture. If it's biblical, then that means it's God saying, I know I'm a jealous God, I want what's best for you, I can provide what's best for you. But if it's turned in the other direction, then it could be, you've got something that I want and I hate you and I'm gonna try to make your life miserable, that kind of jealousy. Hope is the same kind of word. And so to start out the Advent season by commemorating the hope that we have in Christ, I mean, you get right down to it, it's kind of weird to hear this. It's kind of, when you hear hope used in a negative sense, it's almost like, and I can't think of a better expression, when you see a, uh, a woman who has been given a man's name or a man who's been given a woman's name. I know there are some uh, names like Kelly, Tracy, Stacy that can kind of go both ways. Uh, Alex has kind of fallen into that category now too. But there are sometimes, I met someone recently who has a daughter named Zion. I've never heard of a daughter named Zion. Of course, in the scripture, there are women named Noah uh, in addition to men named Noah. So I, I get it. But hearing hope in a negative context for Christians is kind of an anomaly. And yet, there, everyone, when you get right down to it, has hope. The question is, do you have hope in Christ or do you have hope in, in the, the, the other? Because the certainty, the expectation of what is certain for people outside of the faith in Christ is that they're going to a certain death. They're, they're going to live in eternal torment. And we don't want that to be our lot. Uh, following the hope candle, then we, we lit the peace candle. And uh, what's interesting about the peace candle is to see people living peaceably in the body of Christ. And we took a look at some passages in Romans and we looked at uh, the, the very nature of the word peace and peace. And in the New Testament, the word for peace is irene, uh, which literally means quietness, rest. In the, it, it literally is a, ref, a reference to all essential parts are joined together. That's when the world is at peace. When you see the shalom, it means everybody has everything they need, the way God created it. And then when you see it in the New Testament, in the Greek sense, it literally means all essential parts are joined together and operational. And for us as Christians, the lesson to be learned from the peace candle is the fact that we as Christians are to have an attitude of preference toward one another in the body of Christ. And one of the most challenging parts of life today, I think, I know people are losing their mind over the elections and the wars and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, without question, the thing that break, has been breaking my heart the most over the past couple months, and this is just me to you, not suggesting that your heart should break the same way, I'm just telling you how my heart is breaking. My heart is breaking with the way Christians are treating fellow professors of the faith. 
people who profess faith in Christ, to see the attacks on social media, to see all the different postings, to see the vitriol coming back and forth from people who are professing faith in Christ and saying, on the one hand, I stand with Israel, for example. On the other hand, well, Israel's murdering Palestinians, so how could you be a Christian and stand with Israel? Or, or you know, I mean, you get the idea. Or I, I'm a Christian, so I support the sanctity of human life. And then somebody else will come up and say, well, I'm a Christian, and that's why I vote Democrat, because they want to help people who cares that they murder babies in the womb. And you look at Jesus in John 13, 34, and 35. The first commandment he gives the disciples on his way to the garden, I mean, he hasn't even gone to the, the, the cross yet, but the first commandment he gives them says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you who come from disparate backgrounds will love one another. And I love the idea of preference being given toward uh, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That word irene literally means if you're going to experience um, the peace of Christ and you pass the peace in your worship services all the time, it means what you're going to do is you're going to see somebody else who is of a certain you know uh, country or whatever, and they have faith in Christ, and you're going to be drawn to them. That's part of the expression. But you're actually going to favor them or some of our European friends would say, you're going to prefer them. Not saying, I just want to do everything you want to do, but rather to say, you know, if it comes down to it, if we have a disagreement or if we're trying to sharpen iron here, I'm going to prefer your thoughts and feelings and, and uh, desires over mine because I know that ultimately that will bring everything together so that all the parts that are essential can be joined together as one. And I just, uh, it's heartbreaking. I, 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 I'm, not, uh, I'm not unashamed to cry. And there have been many an evening where my wife will tell you, look, I mean, I just, you're weeping. I mean, I just, I can see your heart breaking over this. And I said, well, I, I like to say, <laughs> there goes your leaky husband again, right? Okay, so third candle, you may have noticed when they were lighting them yesterday in your worship service, the third candle is the candle that's different. There are four candles in the Advent wreath. Three of them are purple. One of them is either a rose color or pink or Gaudet as they call it. And that one is the joy candle. Now, isn't it interesting that we celebrate the hope of Christ, the peace that Christ brings, the joy that is reflected in his birth and his return. And then we get to the love candle next week. On the other side of this break, I want to break down what this joy actually looks like. Take a, couple, a look at a couple of passages of Scripture. If you have ever been to or listened to a recording of Handel's Messiah, you're going to discover very quickly that one of the places that George Frederick Handel camped out on for writing the lyrics to the Messiah oratorio, the whole big deal, was Isaiah chapter 40, and that's one of the places we're going to get into. But what does biblical joy actually look like? I know there's a human kind of English language acrostic for it, Jesus, then others, then you. But what does joy look like and what is the joy that we celebrate on uh, the Advent season? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest, 
while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Movie Monday, and I hope you'll watch a movie like The Nativity Story or uh, Jesus of Nazareth or uh, Greatest Story Ever Told or something like that. There are a lot of great Christmas movies to watch, but there are lots of great Jesus movies to watch, and I highly recommend you find one of them to watch with your family uh, this Christmas season. We're taking a walk through the four candles of Advent each week, and we're doing it on Monday. Actually, we did the first two Mondays of December. Today is, of course, Monday the 18th. Since next Monday is Christmas Day, I'm going to take uh, Good News Friday to do a little homily on the final candle, which is joy. But this week, we look at the pink or the rose of the Godet candle, and that is the love candle, or excuse me, the joy candle. Love is the fourth one. When you look at the what joy actually means. You have to look at the passages of scripture that come from our lectionaries with regard to um, the, the joy of the Lord that is the strength of people. I mean, we look at John chapter one. John chapter one is kind of the Genesis one of the uh, New Testament. Kind of, I mean, Matthew gets into the whole genealogy of Jesus as does Mark and then Luke. Luke gets us to the Christmas story quickly, but John takes the first chapter and talks about who Jesus is is. And in John chapter 1 verse 9, we read, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Then in verse 14, John writes, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this is something, if you do have a, uh, maybe a Christmas Eve service, that might be the, uh, the passage of Scripture that your pastor camps out on, or maybe even Christmas Day. But let's, let's continue now and take a look at what this joy actually looks like as John writes in verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out. We're talking John the baptizer. He cried out uh, saying, this is the one I spoke of when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the only begotten son who is God himself is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Now, does that fill your heart with joy knowing that God chose the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, to reveal that joy to us? It gives the father great joy to know that his son dwells among his creation that gives him great joy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how this sonship leads to discipleship that leads to apostleship. Listen to the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise 
from God. Now ask yourself this question. Paul's writing about the nature of apostleship here. But doesn't that sound an awful lot like what we're seeing in the culture today? How God is literally bringing to light what is hidden in darkness? We're finding more and more people, if you listen to the uh, National Crawford Roundtable podcast a couple weeks ago, we were talking about anti-Semitism and how so many political people and progressive Christian people uh, have no trouble uh, condemning Israel and praising Hamas and with no shame. And I said, well, that's what's happening in the culture right now. The culture loves its darkness so much, loves its sins so much that not only do they practice it, it and participate in it, but now they no longer experience any kind of guilt or shame for doing it. Instead, they turn on the people who live godly moral lives and say, you're the problem, not us. Now think about this for just a moment. When someone is using that substandard, the prophet Isaiah says, look, I look at my righteousness as filthy rags before God. But in, I think of all those kind of dystopian movies from the 1980s, like Escape from New York and whatever. And you can see how society had devolved and was falling into this pit. And yet there are people who are going around with all these trashy, yucky, disgusting things and thinking that they were living large because they had those things, not realizing how decrepit and filthy and dirty they were. But here we are at that appointed time. The Lord is coming. He is bringing to light what is hidden in darkness and exposing the motives of the heart. Now, here's where the joy comes in. If you look to the Greek definition of joy, it, uh, the word is kara. It's where we get charis or charisma or charismatic. It literally just means uh, a source of joy or gladness. Zara, which is a feminine form of the word in the Greek, literally means to lean toward, to be favorably disposed. Grace recognized. Oh, isn't that beautiful? You know why so many Christians are being tormented right now, targeted for their faith, pinpointed? Do you know what? I mean, it's pretty easy to tell. Part of the reason why you are experiencing this as a Christian is because the grace of God is being recognized in your life. You're seeing true believers spending more time hanging out with true believers because we are favorably disposed to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If there are people who you thought were solid believers and now you've kind of had a falling out of sorts, ask the question, which one of us is leaning more toward the Lord and which one is leaning away from? It's been shocking, I know, in my own life. I'm sure it has been in your life, too. And I'm sure there are other people who would say the same thing about me. Oh, man, I used to hang with Roger all the time and what's going on, and now I just don't understand. But as we draw closer to God, the joy of the Lord that lives in our hearts will make us distinguishable from the people who don't have that joy. And as we have that joy, that grace recognized, if you will, then you're going to see more and more people who are going to be favorably disposed to people who have that joy of the Lord. And you can also see the people who are favorably disposed, if you will, to their own political leanings or to their own uh, desire for power or control. And oftentimes it's been my experience, I don't know how it is for you, but it's been my experience that the people who complain the most about power and control are the people who are desiring power and control. It's really wild. What was it the, in Paul's epistle? Jesus being in the very nature of God did not regard 
doing that as something he wanted to attain, but rather took on the form of a servant. This joy issue is huge for us. And there are two passages that amplify this oh so perfectly. I want to get into them. Well, let's go Old Testament first and then New Testament because the New Testament involves something. Well, these both involve passages of scripture that we hear quoted often at Christmas time. First, may I turn you to Isaiah chapter 40. Book of Isaiah is fun. 66 chapters, just like there are 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters are this woe and doom and prophecy, kind of like the 39 books in the Old Testament. The last 27 are, here we go, God, here we go. And it starts with Isaiah chapter 40, verse one, which says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Sorry, I couldn't resist singing that from Handel. Verse 6, a voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blowing on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So you who bring good news to Zion, go up high on a mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid, and say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The joy, the peace, the hope that we read in those verses from Isaiah chapter 40 are all foretelling the coming of Jesus Christ. To a weary nation of Jerusalem, the gospel, of course, is first for the Jew and then for the rest of us. But that joy is interesting because it is inexplicably intertwined with God's presence in our lives. And we see that very evident in Luke's gospel in chapter two, when the angels are speaking to the shepherds. I'll dig into that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. December is the month we celebrate the birth of Christ, and when we think about the birth of Christ, it was technically an unplanned pregnancy, at least as far as Mary and Joseph were concerned. The angel Gabriel had other ideas, of course, and we know that the birth of Christ ushers in God's plan for salvation for you and for me, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Why not, during this Christmas season, give a gift in support of a ministry that celebrates the gift of life and the gift of eternal life as well? Preborn is the ministry that offers you the opportunity to have a free ultrasound performed on a pregnant mom, and all she has to do is come in, get that pregnancy test, and have the ultrasound done, and then find out what her options are, how far along she is. 85% of the time, a woman comes to a preborn clinic, she keeps her child or releases that child for adoption. The abortion clinics don't want you to know about the adoption option. And right now, your $28 donation to preborn is double thanks to a special matching grant that's in place 
round now through the end of the month. Call 833-850-BABY to make your best donation completely tax deductible and 100% of the money donated to Preborn today goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-2229, that spells B-A-B-Y, or give a gift online when you go to cambrightradio.com, click on the Preborn banner and make your best tax deductible donation. Do it today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Fun singing a little Handel's Messiah for you in the previous segment. If you missed it, go back to thebottomlineshow.com and we've got it up there for you. Taking a look at the third candle in the Advent candle wreath, four candles total. This is the pink one or the rose-colored one. The first purple one is hope, talking about the expectation of what is certain, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second one is peace, the peace of Christ that comes and falls upon all who believe in him and place their faith and hope and trust in him. And then the peace we experience by showing favor to one another. This week, we look at the joy candle and the joy of the Lord. Literally, it just, it means uh, showing favor, grace in the heart of somebody recognized. Now, let's talk about this joy and this favor. Luke chapter 2, you probably remember Linus Van Pelt saying this in the Charlie Brown Christmas, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. The shepherds out watching the fields overnight, they were sore afraid. But the glory of the Lord shone upon them. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I slowed down for a reason. On whom his favor rests. The meaning of these words, the joy of the Lord, remember, the word for joy, the root word czar, and the feminine form zara, literally means to lean towards, to be favorably disposed. It's the awareness of God's grace, God's favor, God's joy. Just think of this as grace recognized. You will meet people, even those who wear crosses and have Christian tattoos and bumper stickers and preach a great game who will demonstrate to you that when you look into their heart, you're going to not see grace recognized. You're not going to see the favor of God shining upon them. You're going to hear words of fear, words of discomfort, words of distrust. And may I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that one of the things that will make a person in that situation, the world is going to run from you anyway. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves, brothers and sisters. There's that rapper, Yankee Daddy or something like that, some Mexican rapper um, who wound up walking away from his rap career a couple weeks ago, announcing to a crowd, a stadium full of people that he was now going to follow Jesus Christ. And I really hope and pray that he's sincere in that commitment. But the world is not going to look at Kat Von D. I mean, they're going to look at her now and say, wow, you were the one of the best leading tattoo artists in the world. And now you're a Christian with all that ink on your body? How do we know you're not serious? A lot of Christians are coming out of the woodwork or professing Christians and showing that they don't have grace recognized in their hearts. The best witness you can have for the kingdom of God is not to preach a great game and to uh, talk emphatically and lead Bible studies and buy Bibles and hand them out everywhere you go. The best witness you can have is when the joy of the Lord, the favor of the Lord, rests upon you and people see it 
I mean, look at what Luke says the angel said. I mean, the words of Luke chapter 10, or chapter 2, verses... Uh, Chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The peace of Christ is available to all, but it will rest upon those whose hearts have been surrendered to his lordship. That is good news. The joy of the Lord to you and yours this Christmas season. That's the bottom line.